that sort of a framework i think is what set the bar for me in many ways and to know that your audience is people who are keen to learn from others mm. regardless of their mm. expertise that's tasneen khan biologist educator photographer diver and as she says herself she'll do anything to avoid wearing shoes her business is Earth Collab, an ecological and educational space that's all about learning through a multifaceted and experiential lens. I loved this episode because it challenges our ideas of place and even how we think about customers. It doesn't matter that the leaders in the business are spread between Bangalore and Ireland or that customers could be 16 or 65. All that matters is curiosity and where the magic happens. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And today I wanted to introduce you to another different type of business. And you know, we've explored a few different types of business models before. And this time I wanted to look at a business that had a more environmental, educational perspective. And, but also I really like this person that I'm introducing you to today. <laughs> so today I want to introduce you to Tasneem Khan. And her business is Earth Collab. And this is such an interesting business from loads of different perspectives. But I really kind of wanted that whole world view in this conversation. And what I'd like to do is welcome Tass uh, to our conversation. And um, hey, Tass, how are you? Hi, Finola. I'm great. <laughs> it's good to be here finally now that we've gotten over the, the technical glitches. <laughs> Yeah, we had loads of technical glitches this morning, so, but we survived and we are here. So what I know about Tass, and this is the short of her name, of her beautiful name, Tass Neem, is she's a marine biologist, is very interested in the impact on the world, but also in the thing that interested me most was her work with, uh, in education, my direct experience of her is in her in interactions with kids and children to get them to move away from devices. But this is just such a small part of her work. And I thought we'd get her to tell us about her work and her business journey. But let's get her to start by telling us about her work. Welcome. Thanks, Finola. Well, I often I often have a hard time, uh, you know, pulling that into a nutshell when people ask me, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And jokingly, yeah. I, I often say, well, I just sunbathe because that is the, <laughs> the shortest, the shortest answer to it. But um, to, to, to broadly put it, I suppose uh, my work does all link back to water in some way yeah. or the other. And that would be the one uh, common denominator, uh, regardless of which geography it is in or what angle I, I use to approach water. So um, as you mentioned, that marine ecology and marine science is the academic background that I, I come from, having studied mm. that 
intermittently over the years. Uh, but mm. a lot of my my own experience and interest and I suppose what has crafted my work into what it is today is from the, the things that happened in between the studies and what really directed mm. my choice of learning. So mm. as, as of now, my work is a mix of, of uh, science, art and education. Um, mm. And it's all, all links back to the ocean or freshwater in some way or the other. And Earth Collab is a company or an enterprise that um, I developed or I uh, started in 2016 um, mm. with the intention to bring together uh, collaborators and people I've worked with over the years as, mm. as a platform for education, uh, art science communication, and connecting people to place. Um, at, at the core. And we do that through many, many different activities. So right from uh, working in mainstream education with schools and universities, but mm. also uh, running uh, art residency programs in different uh, geographies and research, ecological research as well. Give me some, I love this idea of connected to place because we are so much in a, in an ethereal world, in a virtual world, this idea of, and I'm reminded of your intro on your own website, which mean, which says you'll do anything not to wear shoes. And I love this idea of, you know, putting your feet on the ground and this connection to place. Why this? That's, it's a beautiful idea. Well, I suppose I've, I've been able to articulate it more and uh, understand what what has connected me to place and what actually amplifies learning experiences only more recently in the last eight eight or ten years but if I was to go back as to where that comes from I suppose it would be my own journey and if I think back at what what uh, experiences were most um, impactful to my my learning and both from an education and a career development and a personal point of view it would be the times that I had outside and it doesn't always have to be in in this pristine postcard perfect uh, idea of nature that people often portray but outside in any setting so in 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 one's environment whatever that environment may be and that's where this idea of place-based learning comes from that regardless mm. of what the place is there's always something to learn from it and it's about mm. tuning ourselves to to be um, attentive to that and so I guess from my perspective a lot of that those experiences came through uh, field research and the early work I did outside and that that is what inspired me in many ways to 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 craft education, educational experiences and to go down this, uh, the career path of designing education and educational experiences that um, move away from the narrative or the book or the formal structured method and look at what, what we can derive from the environment, so to speak. And what's the purpose of that? I mean, I, I automatically want to do it, but what's the reason for doing that? So, well, a couple of different reasons, I suppose. But if you were to 
and and this is not to uh, diminish the value of narrative or diminish the value of books uh, on the contrary i i use all of those a lot in in all our education and i and when i say narrative i mean it in the broadest sense because it could be video it could be device based narrative mm-hmm. it's how diff- a different way of learning through either visual or auditory um faculties but uh, but in third person where you're being told about about something mm. a story or information mm. which is hugely valuable like oral history for example or learning from people with who've had different experiences has its place and value but what what we talk about is experiential learning or place based learning is um setting context to that other form of information mm. for example so it's creating context and more importantly from if you think of it from a learner's point of view or an education educational point of view it um those sort of experiences impact you and create memories of your own for one but they have the mm. power to actually instill uh values like biophilia for example or a genuine a sense of inquiry as opposed to a, st- a third person narrative so instead of uh, like for example one of the things that i am very um, wary about using or uh, engaging with is this idea of environmental education i think it's a very ivory tower approach uh, because we again it's it's taking this third person point of view where you have um you're you're preaching about about something else as opposed to mm. if you were to grow up with those experiences yourself if you would have first hand experience of water for example uh, sources of water happy memorable experiences ar- around water where you have a sense of belonging to whether it's a water body mm. or a river or a forest or anything of that nature the the education becomes an implicit part of it the valuing of it becomes an implicit part of it and you're not uh you don't have to use the doom and gloom approach or the threat approach to learn about the value of anything in in your environment do you think that um because it really speaks of that word connection that you said earlier do you think that we are more I'm kind of rhetorical but I'm going to ask you anyway do you think we're more disconnected than we've ever been Um I'd say a bit a bit of both we we are more disconnected than we've ever been and we're more connected than we've where we've ever been in many ways yeah. so we actually if you look at that the age group let's say the middle school age group or let's say 12 to 16 roughly even even younger than that for that matter they have access to more information than any of us ever did they are more mm. aware about absence and presence of things what's where for example whether it's geographies or literally literally anything that we can think of they are already cued into it and they have access to that information so they're connected but at a personal level how many locations people places elements around them do they have a sense of belonging to is the question mm. so do they feel like they are part of a particular space and if so how do they feel like that 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 environment or that location belongs to them and i don't mean that in a materialistic way but mm. in a sense of connection conservation and 
a deeper understanding of a space. So I think it's um, it's contradictory. So they have they have the two extremes in some ways. And do you think that? I mean, you know that I have a thirteen-year-old son, and um, it's curious to me that. So he would, you know, there's a talk, a TED talk by I think it is Sir Ken Robinson um, that talks about our learning processes, and that over the years, what has happened is we've cut our legs off, we've cut our bodies off, and it's all focused on one hemisphere of the brain. So it's the top, you know, everything from the neck up, and we've forgotten all of these other things. The different ways of learning and and different kinds of knowledge. Yeah. And that we have to change that, but it hasn't changed yet. And and is that kind of also you're alluding to that? It feels deeper than that, because when you speak, that belonging thing is very interesting to me when I watch Sean or his friends and I, I see when he's physically present, things really click. Whereas it's often seems to be observer mode the rest of the time. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. So like I said, so there were there are multiple aspects to it. So if we were we were talking about um it from an environmental perspective or a water perspective, and I mm. did emphasize on the sense of belonging to to create value. But um, yeah. from a more cognitive aspect or a pedagogical aspect of how children learn, children or adults for that matter, there's no doubt uh, in, in that you need multiple faculties activated in the learning process. And uh, we all, each individual has um, different peaks and troughs in that learning process. So to, the more tactile or the more um, sensory a learning experience is, the more impactful, the more it clicks, like you said, and they're more likely to have uh, a desire to to ask more questions or pursue that mm-hmm. line of inquiry further and, um, and, and remember it differently because it's suddenly, it's suddenly not information anymore, but it is something done or felt, Memory. yes, uh, or experienced by them. So the, if we can create, and a big part of what I do in in education design is that creating um, active learning activities or curriculum that is actively mm. and consciously activating multiple aspects of of learning. So it could be uh, musical, it could be mathematical, it could be um, scientific or uh, visual. And can we, in fact, instead of working in silos and labeling those as subjects, can we in fact use all of them in a combinatory fashion or an interdisciplinary fashion while exploring a single subject? Which means you get this, it's like 3D, 4D, 5D uh, experience around education that we would never have had, I would never have had when I was a child. And it also makes me wonder, does it, does this actually help us build resilience? That's what came to me to ask you. It, I'd say, yes, resilience in many ways. Um, in, I would, I suppose, I would break it down further because it's helping you as an individual learn to approach the learning process, regardless of what the content mm. is. So often, we are, we we create or we develop mental blocks against subjects, right? And that is 
unknowingly mm. or knowingly because of the way they are taught or associations with those subjects. So if we become more mm. aware of how we learn and rather than what we learn, so what is the process mm. involved in the learning? And can that be tailored to take into account all these different developmental aspects? The what we learn becomes easier to take in. And we become mm. resilient, like you say, because we're more attentive to focusing on, all right, I can, I can learn this. I'm finding this particular topic difficult to fathom or understand or grapple with. So maybe I use a different entry point. And, I, and it can be used both by the educator or the, the student, depending on, on how they understand their own learning processes. Mm. So actually you're giving the power of learning back into the hands of the person who is the learner. Yes. And, and I mean, a big part of that, a big part of that responsibility does rest on the shoulders of the educator to be open to that as well. So it is a, yeah. it is a shared uh, process and it's not this one way uh, delivery of information anymore. Yeah. Wow. That. so how is it being received? Like, so you, so you have t a few different, um, ways of working with people because you work with people because I see that there is this uh, uh, beautiful trip becoming amphibian coming up for you on tell us about this the different types of customers you have so you work with kids and in schools of this these different ages but you're also working uh, bringing people on diving expeditions into these beautiful locations so tell us about that yes so well I suppose that would the reason for multiple different subjects and multiple different ways of teaching and then stepping away from the limiting factor of uh, demographics, I think are mm. a few different aspects to what is important to me and to Earth Collab um, for, uh, for education or learning at large. So we don't mm. view uh, learning as um, an age-determined uh, sort of mm. uh, as age-determined block. So uh, that's one mm. key thing I have. I work with schools right from primary, uh, where, where mm. I am doing a lot of curriculum development to outdoor programs for middle schools and high schools. I also work mm. extensively with undergrad and postgrad program development for field-based education specifically. And then over the mm. last five, uh, six years through Earth Collab, we have started expedition-based learning, which is open to any age group at all. And the reason that came about was a lot of the schools we have worked with or students we had worked with came back to us um, outside of the academic uh, or organized mm. learning, uh, or their parents came back to us and asked, for, uh, asked us whether there is any opportunity for them to come back regardless of whether there's a, a school Mm. A, a program organized through school and that's what got us thinking mm. but also there there we have four partners at earth collab and through each of our individual work we do work with uh, adult education and experiential learning outside of academic institutions so um, on our team we have two dive instructors i am a dive mm. master myself um, i teach sailing as well and we do uh, mm. have different forms of learning, which is not school or institution centric at all. So the idea mm. of expedition based learning ties in very closely to 
um, place-based learning because you are out there uh, traveling through a space or exploring a space and learning about it. And it also comes from, I suppose, uh, a view on where tourism and travel is going in, well, at least pre-COVID, because <laughs> it's all already yeah. reassessed right now. And when yeah. and this idea of postcard travel or going out there to get a picture of you in in this ideal location for social media and to sort of make people or help people question that a little more and to understand that travel or experience need not be perfect and it need not be about getting getting into the postcard but it really is about discovering place and people and how much more value that can bring so very often with our learning expeditions like becoming amphibian amphibious which is what um you mentioned we we work with locations that are less traveled so not uh not well set up tourist destinations so it does mean there's a lot of logistic uh support and work that goes into it but and it's with small groups of people up up to 12 usually but describe this trip because i saw this trip and i went oh my god this sounds amazing but describe this particular trip to give an example to people so in in this case we are uh, we're using a, a, an island in the maldives but not not a resort uh, not a resort base or a, mm. a five star island uh, there mm. are islands there that are now uh, locally inhabited and have homestays um but the the objective of the trip is to to he- to to help the group that that does come come with us uh, use new lenses for exploration and it's about learning how to develop these new lenses so in this case it's learning diving um mm. we'd be learning uh, a lot about shallow shallow seas and coral reefs as part of it so they will do a, a whole lot of documentation there's an introduction to underwater photography uh fish id mm. and then we also have activities like plankton tours where we come back and set up microscopes to look at what kind of um life actually uh drives these reef systems and understanding the connectivity behind that mm. now this particular expedition um has been curated very specifically for uh people who don't yet know how to dive and it's because there was a great demand and we had a lot of a lot of people request that most of our mm. expeditions prior to that would be for groups that either already know how to dive or already know how to sail and they're coming in to add upskill uh, to add a new mm. layer to that or uh, slightly more some some expeditions are slightly more art centric and others might be slightly more science centric depending on on the location and the group but i suppose at its core all of them whether it's an expedition um based learning program or a program that has been curated for a specific school or university group um the fundamental uh method that we use is this idea of multiple lenses so how many lenses can you use to explore a place and and when i say lenses i mean that more metaphorically so Mm. what do you understand about the the history of the space how, how what can you learn from the people that live in that space so we often have these transect style uh, walks where we document um the 
natural resources around there, speak to individuals who've lived there, uh, understand the local livelihoods in a location, agricultural aspects, uh, tourism aspects Fantastic. of tourism. And so it's really to bring together the many layers of a place to, to really create your own experience. I'm just going to take a very short break here to tell you about an opportunity where you can apply the insights from many of these conversations to your business. You've reached a point in your business where you've realized that in order to progress, you've got to be top of mind with more of your ideal customers, the ones you haven't met yet. You need to expand beyond who you already know and be seen for what you do best. And if you're ready to own your space in the marketplace, then this is my invitation to you to join my live 12-week program called Guided by Get Strategic, the complete A to Z guide to successfully position your business and own that coveted space in your customer's mind. She just knows what step you should take next. One of these rare finds, these really genuine people, Finola will help you to find your authentic voice. Finola has some wonderful methodologies. Did I say Finola really cares? She genuinely does. You manage to combine a proximity and helping hand with an online course or online program. You have an incredible generosity of spirit. Finola helps you to extract ideas and dreams of how to make your business even bigger. It is so much more than marketing. Click on the link in the show notes and find out more about Guided by Get Strategic, the complete A to Z guide to successfully position your business and own that coveted space in your customer's mind. I love this idea of layers because you build, yeah, you're building memories and ex yeah, it truly is that whole experiential thing. And I think it's a powerful, it's really of its time, Tass, isn't it? This experience for people, because we're tired of looking at, and we want something deeper. So it, yeah, I really like this. It's really interesting. My, there's a couple of things I, I feel to ask, which is, with this breadth of no restrictions on age and things like that, is it challenging to to find the to target the right customer to say this is my target customer? It seems to be very clear that it was institutional and academic, but is now seemed to be blossoming beyond that. Is that what's happening at the moment? I would say so. In in some ways. Um... Well, I suppose to answer that in two parts, uh, it isn't, I wouldn't say it's challenging uh, from that point of view because it actually opens up a lot more possibilities and that's how I see it. Mm. Also, mm. Uh, the mixed groups, um, while you worry about it initially because you think, oh, it may not gel or uh, mm. how will we address certain topics for a 16-year-old and a 65-year-old who are in the same group. Yeah. But it's actually incredible to see how the learning dynamic develops because um, each one brings to the table something different, a different interest, a different background, and a different um, a different style of, of learning. So, so far, we haven't found that um, to be a challenge at all. In fact, on the contrary, it adds to the value of the, the program because everyone ends up leading some aspect of it. 
So actually, they they actually become part of the experience themselves by adding multiple lenses. Exactly. And and we do put yeah, that perfect. out there at the very... So uh, prior to the program, we usually have a briefing and we do put that out there that each of them can bring a skill that they would like to mm. add to the documentation or the expedition process. And it it brings it brings a lot. So they're not just there to experience, they're there to to share as well. And I think that adds great value. And it hasn't been particularly challenging for us as the partners at Earth Collab because each of us does work extensively in other fields as well. So in mm. teaching diving, for instance, you do work with every every age, 14 onwards, 12 onwards, actually. And um, the same with teaching sailing and um, uh, in education at large, which we've been doing with different age groups. So from an interpersonal point of view, that hasn't been challenging. And But also from a marketing perspective, it's very interesting because it's this idea that was floated very several, several years ago of, Instead of us being consumers, we are prosumers, which means we are actively contributing to the development of the product itself. Exactly. And both that that point of uh, consumer versus prosumer and the other aspect of marketing, which is looking at psychographics instead of demographics, I think are very, very relevant today. Uh, we use mm. this a lot, of course, in the development of our programs and even in uh whether it's active or passive marketing, you to keep that in mind constantly that you're bringing people on board as opposed to selling something to them. Um, and so, so yes, instead of looking for uh, looking to market to a specific demographic, or this is what an age group is looking for, or this is what a certain cultural uh, audience is looking for, we there is so much out there currently, whether it's in, in the sphere of travel or education or um, outdoor experiences, as is the case with any product one is trying to develop today. So the point is not to be the only one. The point is to do it differently and to speak to the kind of people who are looking for those sort of experiences. And that's what I mean by psychographic, where we're looking for people who who, who see value in this. So we're not selling the value, but we're selling or we're bringing them on board to be part of our, of our experiences. So when you, what are the psychographics for your target customer then? I would say curiosity is right on top. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> whether it's, a, whether yeah. it is um, a student at, at the level of just personal interaction during a class or whether it is bringing someone on board to uh, an expedition, uh, curiosity becomes the most fundamental aspect of it um, and an openness to learn. So what is fascinating and what I learned a lot prior to setting up Earth, Earth Collab, I was uh, running um, a research center in the Andamans, a center for island ecology. And mm. everyone who came there and worked there were absolute experts in their field so they weren't mm. they were all there on their own projects we did have a lot of students and research assistants and other kinds of people flowing in and out of the space but what made that space so magical and uh, created such a phenomenal output of work being generated was that ability to work across disciplines and 
to learn regardless of how much one knew about another field, to still be plugged in and able to learn off others, whether they're mm. your field assistants or a village elder or uh, a botanist or a geologist and or someone who works in policy, for instance. So that sort of a framework, I think, is what set the bar for me in many ways. And to know that your audience is people who are keen to learn from others, mm. regardless of their mm. expertise. Love it. It's, um, it, it, it's an interesting perspective to say, imagine if I thought firstly that my target customer was a curious customer. We, then we immediately go to language that relates to what triggers them, which is what we have to do anyway when we're doing sales pages, landing pages and all the rest of it. But we get trapped sometimes in one thing I found when working with clients is we get trapped in the demographics and we don't pay enough time on the psychographics. And then your messaging just gets lost. It gets lost. And I mean, I am no marketing expert. In fact, it's something... I'm constantly looking for advice on and, uh, you know, l you learn on the go. And it's it's currently in, the, in this present day and age, it has to be part of everyone's life. Marketing is mm. simply uh, a part of what you do. And it's how you choose to do it, I suppose, that makes, makes a difference. And of course, the more uh, knowledge that one can bring to the table, it, it gets better. But... I guess mm. a few things you just decide at the very, or through the process or at the very get-go that I, I'm not going to go down that path. And is it, is it about, is it really about, say, the number of likes or the number of hits, or is it about the amount of engagement you're getting back? Mm. But thankfully, we've moved to that point. You know, people are realizing it is about, it's not about these enormously large audience. It's about the audience that you can you know, even if it's smaller, if it's much more engaged, then they're much more likely to do business with you. We talked when we had this original conversation together and you talked about you are exploring the minimum viable audience. Do you want to share with us where you are on this, on your journey with this business? Because I also want to share with everybody here. Sorry, I've got you three questions in one mm -hmm. go. But this is one of the things that's interesting about your business is it's operating from two geographic locations, which are completely miles and miles away from each other. One is one of where you're currently based is in Ireland and the other base of operations is in Bangalore. But you but you tr you're all over the world anyway, just because of the nature of the business. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? How challenging is that or what's that like? So, of course, there are there are challenges that come with with everything. Mm. So I will never say that it's uh, it, it's easy, <laughs> but it's fun. Mm definitely is fun mm. and um while one way of putting it is that they're two completely different geographies uh you might say waterford and dunmore east uh, in waterford and bangalore in uh in karnataka in india but i actually have never thought of it like that <laughs> so it's interesting mm. that you put it like that so i see my work as being spread between the indian ocean and the atlantic and those are the two mm. um field sites so to speak so most of my work until two years ago was most of it not all but most of it was centered in the Indian Ocean region so that extended um, from the Andaman Islands uh, the mm. eastern Andaman Sea which is parts of Burma and Thailand 
uh, down mm. into Indonesia and mm. along the coast of India in Pondicherry uh, and Goa quite extensively. And so mm. these were the field sites. Our office is registered in Bangalore, which you mentioned, uh, purely from a practicality point of view. Two of our partners um, have houses in Bangalore and um, flit in and out of there. So it's mm. from a, a legal and practical point of view, we have an office registered there. <laughs> but mm. uh, I've done very little work in Bangalore itself. We work with a lot of schools mm. from Bangalore, but we take them out to the field. And so mm. our field sites are uh, scattered across uh, that segment of the Indian Ocean. Um, I have worked uh, as well in parts of, of Norway and Sweden over the years on more freshwater ecology related uh, programs. But what brought me to Ireland was happenstance in many ways and uh, COVID. And mm. without getting into the details of that, uh, having been here through two of the lockdowns and um, been fortunate enough to be positioned by the ocean, it didn't take more than a few days to um, peak my curiosity and uh, I was out exploring those parts. And, you know, having, having had the first nine months in different forms of lockdown here, mm. uh, there was no doubt that I wanted to expand instantly and create that contrast even for my own work um, where the Indian Ocean and the Atlantic create such an incredible juxtaposition of information and a series of contrasts as well. Not, not just in wildlife and ecology, but also in the cultural aspects and the, the lexicon that goes with marine spaces and the, mm. the knowledge that is held by coastal and fishing communities, which I've been doing a lot of work with in, in the South Asian context and the mm. Thai and Burmese context, but never had the opportunity to do it here. So this sort of, as difficult as it was as a situation, it, I see it as having presented a new field to work in. Mm. It's a, as you can probably tell, listeners, <laughs> we met in the water, myself and Toss. Yes. <laughs> the way in one fact, should. She was one of, yeah. And so, it, in fact, I think you uh, taught me uh, yourself and Evelyn, which is a, a friend of ours, how to uh, breathe underwater. So <laughs> this is, so it's amazing. Yeah, how we, we gave people. you a spare pair of gills. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's changed my life. Um, I think what I'm getting from the conversation is all the change is never greeted in adversity. It's greeted as, yes, another opportunity has just arrived. Now, what shall I do? Absolutely. And that's not, it's not always easy. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds a bit romantic, of course, when we, when we talk about it, and it should, why not look at the best side of it? But, yeah. uh, you know, but it is, it's a way, it's a way of thinking. And if, if we go back to this, the topic that I have been focusing on, which is place-based learning and what I teach, which is learning from landscape, that's really it. It's not about going out with a predecided idea necessarily of what you're going to learn, but it's being attentive to what you can learn from that space. Mm. And it, it, it comes with the drudgery of it. It comes with um, not always knowing uh, you're definitely going to have work <laughs> going. And yeah. It's uh, taking the time to be attentive 
uh, to what you can learn from the people and place around you. And that I feel is uh, valid in any context, whether it is setting up a new business or an extension to a business like in my case, or um, from a research and ecology point of view, learning about uh, a new ocean system or language architecture. It's the case with pretty much any field. It's not limited to the sciences or limited to marine biology in this case. I, I think mm. it's it's a way of learning that, that interests me. Uh, and because even when you're saying that, business has and even business planning has become much more focused on it being much more agile so that you can uh, see what's working as you go and adjust as time progresses. And I think that's a definite parallel here. It is undoubtedly. It's to, to be adaptable and to build your plan or your model for resilience. Um, and I think all of us have really been tested in the last few years with that. Mm. But also, in, in case in the case where uh, an idea or a business may not be typically what you could nest under one specific sector or mm. a predefined kind of business model, um, and I I see that more as curating. So you're constantly curating your own interests, your strengths, and what is viable, what interests others, and to and to see that as. Um, as a process of curation, so you're you're moving things around constantly. You're looking at what what tells that story best, uh, what enables you to share that story best. What is, of course, uh, both financially and uh, uh, ecologically sustainable in that in in the new space you might be working in. So mm -hmm. it it is it is a mix of of that, and then of course the the ability to practice it and to put that into practice, regardless of how difficult it is because in 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 the case of work like this very often people assume that you're doing what you love or you're, you're diving or you're writing and mm. it's, it's like you're on a holiday surely mm. <laughs> you're off to the Maldives so it must be a holiday mm. but it comes with and, and anyone who is working towards setting up a business will understand that it comes with all the the, the difficulties that are part of that whether it's logistic logistics, financial, human capital, and otherwise. Um, but that shouldn't matter because if you're if you're going to put it into practice anyway, uh, you have to stick with it every day, even even when mm. e even when it doesn't seem it might uh, might work or you haven't yet found the the right plugs in in a new environment. Mm. I love it. What would you like people to walk away with today? Oh gosh, that's <laughs> heavy. No <laughs> pressure there. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think what's closest to me and uh, my ideas in that sense would be um, to to start looking out more attentively to place uh, in many ways mm. because mm. if if we can. Traveling is wonderful and learning from travel sorts of experiences is remarkable. There's no doubt about that. But if we can start to see those little nuggets and slices of information and value and experiences in, in your backyard, I think that mm. is the most most valuable thing to do because you will 
you will see it. It's always more exaggerated when you go somewhere else. But to bring your own backyard to life in, in terms of what it has to offer from a learning perspective. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tass. It's been a joy. Thanks, Vanola. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Tasneem, check her out on earthcolab.com. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else marketing or entrepreneurship related, check out finolahoward.com. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. And until then, take care.